I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Double Clutch NBA Podcast presented by Leaning. I am your usual host, Matthew Wellington. I'm joined tonight once again by Mike Miller. Hello. And we've got Joe Herbert. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's playoffs. We're back. We did our uh, two monster preview shows last week on Thursday night where me and uh, me and Mike sat through a good, what, two hours, I think it was. Um, going over all of the teams and all of the round one matchups. The round one matchups have obviously taken place, and we're, this is going to be the first podcast where hopefully we can cover um, most of them. We're going to fly all over the place, though, because I know that some of us have and haven't watched certain games, obviously, depending on work life balance, etc. It depends. On, I know Mike was having trouble downloading games this morning when you were trying to get to work. Yep, yeah, I was raging. Sent uh, an email off to support NBA support at newlion.com. Did they ever reply? Yeah, they did. They came back straight away with a very helpful uninstall, shut down your device, open your device, reinstall. By that time, I'd figured out a way around it. So I was just like, you jog on, mate. That's that's (laughs) ridiculous. But I take it no one else got the same league pass issues I did. No, 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 no. I just, mine likes locking up on mobile mode sometimes, which really annoys me because I don't like the mobile view. Because you can't see the yeah, court. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I don't know if any of you have tried to use it, but it's, it's 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 yeah, it locked me on that for some reason, and it does that on some of the condensed games as well, which is a little bit. Um, Funnily enough, that was the last thing I emailed them about was uh, why are you forcing me to watch uh, mobile view games? It's almost like I have a frequent email conversation with them. Yeah, it was a bit strange anyway over here because obviously BT Sport take the coverage for the the NBA in this country, and basically. You had Golden State, San Antonio on Saturday night, and then you didn't get any of the other three games. Whereas I know in the States, ESPN must have ran a double or a triple header and run multiple games that night. Same again with TNT on Sunday. We got the um, the Cavs Paces game, obviously, didn't we? Because that's usually the NBA Sunday slot. But we didn't really, we didn't get any of the others. And yeah, the first round of the playoffs, like you can't, if you're an enthusiast fan in this in this country, you kind of have to have league pass. You you're a bit forced into that situation come this time of year. Yeah, and I, I don't hate League Pass. Don't get me wrong; it is it is an absolute godsend. It's just not perfect yet. Like mine today was, you'd click download, nothing would happen, and then I'd cross it off, and I'd, it would it would come up with like a notification saying, "If you download this, you could incur data charges. Do you want to download?" I press download again, nothing had happened. But some, <laughs> and I was just like, "What is going on?" It took me like about four hours, and then I just started hitting download multiple times, like punching the screen, and it eventually started working. So <laughs> I managed to watch uh, a, a few today. Yeah, modern technology. I don't even know how they haven't rolled out a NBA app on the PlayStation yet either. Oh, yeah, that, in, in, this co- that. in this country. That annoys me. That is, Do you yeah. think they'd get, they'd get that sorted, considering it's been like six years and people have been tweeting them like ever since <laughs> I always put it in the end of year survey as well because I'm sad and fill out the end of year survey <laughs> <laughs> please put it in the PlayStation please put it on the PlayStation store that's another well probably the biggest reason I've, I've got I like have my Xbox on is because I can use League Pass and it, and it works and it's got all the funky settings and stuff um Right, anyway, we will get on to uh, the first matchup of the uh, the Saturday games, which obviously was the San Antonio Spurs and the Golden State Warriors. Like we mentioned, this was a very, very uh, one-sided affair. It was tied twice throughout the entire game. There were no lead changes. The dubs ran away with it. They went up 28-17 to 17 in the first quarter. And this was the sort of the Kevin Durant show and the, and the Clay Thompson show, really. They both just took over and all the rust of the Warriors just seemed to sort of evaporate in the space of 48 minutes. 
Yeah, they targeted the Spurs' uh, small ball lineups all day long. They had Danny Green on Kevin Durant. He just could not handle him. It was pre- it was quite hard to watch because I've really grown to like the Spurs, just you know the way they play ball. But now I'm starting to realise they might just be like another team. They they were tra- he was trying everything. I think he went eleven deep, Greg Popovich, and you know. Unless Tim Duncan was going to come out of retirement, there was nothing he could have done to sort of get them in that game. That would be amazing if all the lights went out and it was like <laughs> WWE style. That's Tim Duncan's music. <laughs> it just comes <laughs> running down, <laughs> running down the players' entrance. That'd be amazing. The the Spurs are just. It's impressive what they've done so far this season. I think I said it last week, but they're rudderless without Kawhi, Lamarcus Aldridge, and I've said it before. When he was with Blazers, there's only so far he can carry a team with a game that's predominantly based on the mid range, and it's just and that's the they f- are that's the thing a like, declining team. How far can you go again, in, especially in this modern NBA with switching? You've got guards who can defend bigs and bigs who can defend guards. How far can you go when you run everything through the elbow and the post like they do with Aldridge? About four games in the first round. <laughs> exactly. I mean, <laughs> I had this going to seven. And when I watched this, I was a bit ashamed I didn't get my broom out for it because, I mean, they the problem I've got with this Spurs team, they're so like, they've got this reputation of being good defenders, which they are, but they're just not quick. I don't think they can keep up with pace offences. Yeah, you look at guys like Kyle Anderson, DeJuante Murray as well. We've spoken quite highly of him on this podcast. Not blaming him, but he looked completely out of his depth um, defensively. And he doesn't do enough on the offensive end to sort of uh, get through it. It's just, I mean, they were all, that's one of, that might be the worst Spurs performance I've seen. And they, they just had nothing. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we said on the uh, the preview show last week that we thought that this was the, what, the worst Spurs team in probably well over a decade. And it all came to fruition. I mean, like you said, he, he did play everybody on their roster play that night. Carl Anderson was the only one who didn't score any points. But it was just a, a complete mismatch offensively. They were reliant on Rudy Gay, who had a you know fairly productive night by his standards to, to keep them in the game. But Lamarcus Aldridge was 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 great for some spells and, and terrible on others. But when Kevin Durant plays like that, you know, shooting fifty-two percent from the field, I mean, he was one of four from downtown, but he contributed everywhere else on the on the court. He had nine rebounds, seven assists. He, he was just doing everything. And Clay Thompson chips in, was unbelievable from downtown, five of six, eighty-three percent. And you can't stop the Warriors when when they play like this, even without Stephen Curry. And I think we had the series going maybe five games, um, being the get the, the Spurs would probably win one matchup. But after seeing this, I'm not entirely sure where the Spurs make the adjustments to even get one win in this series because Kevin Durant is obviously the most dominant player in this series. There's nobody on that team who can guard him. And then when Clay Thompson's playing well and Quinn Cook's chipping in, you know, playing big minutes like he has done towards the end of this season, the regular season, they are they're so tough to guard. And Steve Kerr pulled the the trick on on everybody and, and played Iguodala at point guard for the start of the game and nobody really expected that like they were talking about it on ESPN and it was just like yeah I don't even Greg Popovich probably wasn't game planning for that um that, that sort of tricks to move but it's it's exactly the sort of thing that Steve Kerr's become sort of known for doing it's it's just sort of talking about the worst Spurs team and I was just thinking as we were saying it like obviously Kawhi sat how much of a 
how much of a boost is this for his, yeah, I'll set out a year, but you should still pay me the max kind of deal because this time <laughs> last year we were seriously in game one and looking like we were going to upset the Warriors in the East, in the Western Conference Finals and now they just look flat. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? It's just like the, the, the difference here is Kawhi. We spoke, we spoke about this, I think we all did, um... I think we were we were agreeing that the Spurs have always been a sort of team over the individual type of um, team, if that makes sense. But that that ideology just I don't think is going to work in this situation. This is the reality of it. They've kind of, you know, Popovich has had another pop at um, at Leonard's camp, but I think they just need to get this sorted out because without him, they're not just they. Are, I think they're a bad team without him. And it doesn't matter what your culture is. It doesn't matter if you draft a, a nice uh, European undersized stretch four in the second round like they seem to do every year. If you don't have those star players, it, it just doesn't matter. You know this. Yeah, and the, this is what they the strange are. thing that really the the thing that really threw me off about that game on Saturday night was like you mentioned the Spurs being like a pass first team orientated side, which is you know what they have been certainly throughout the Tim Duncan era and right up to recently with with Kawhi. That game on Saturday night, they only had 19 assists. The Warriors had 32. I mean, that just that just sums it up, really. The ball was was stuck in the paint a lot of the time. Tony Parker came on and barely looked like he, he knew what he was doing, couldn't keep up with the pace of the game. I mean, it, it speaks a lot when your best passer throughout the entire game that night is Pau Gasol. Like, you, you don't want that. And this is Pau Gasol at, towards the, the sort of the twilight of, of his career, as productive as he can be, depending on what night it is and whether or not he's drunk from the fountain of youth. Like, you're not going to get any sort of consistent production from him. And, the, you know, the Warriors did not play perfect. They turned the ball over a lot, but it, it, they just could not capitalise. Like, you, the Spurs didn't get any fast break points, no second um, chance points either. And it, it, it just, the game fell apart for them quite early on. And, in that arena where you've got the young guys, like you mentioned, Devontae Murray, Kyle Anderson, trying to play against that championship, you know, bred crowd, it was always going to be difficult. And yeah, this um, this this series has got off to the the worst start possible, I think, if you're a San Antonio Spurs fan. Um, moving on to the uh, the second matchup of that night, which was the matchup that many of us were were looking forward to. It was, was of course the. Uh, Miami Heat versus the Philadelphia 76ers. This was a crazy game. Um, I stayed up and, and watched the first half. I kind of fell asleep towards the end of the third quarter, so I didn't really watch the end, but it wasn't much. I didn't really miss much. Um, Miami got off to a nice start. They were they went into the break, uh, went into uh, the end of the first quarter, 35-29 up, but then sort of Philly slowly got themselves back into the game, and towards the end, it was just complete and utter total dominance by the 76ers, all the veterans coming out and having big games. JJ Redick with 28, despite the fact he looked like he'd gone off injured in the first quarter. Marco Bellinelli coming and chipping in. Hassan Whiteside was so bad. He only played 12 minutes and Spo ended up benching him. Ben Simmons was just, was just out there showing off. And on paper, this was the fourth most efficient three-point shooting performance in playoff history. They were 18 of 28 from downtown, which was 64%. And, you know, Miami didn't have a bad night. They shot 46% themselves, but... When Ben Simmons is playing like that and showing off like you know Magic Jordan esque abilities, it, this Sixers team is they could theoretically tear through this this series. I think, which is weird because Miami, like Joe has mentioned and Joe mentioned in the previews, like they are a great defensive team. 
Yeah, and the matchup I was interested in was Simmons um, against who I didn't know who it was going to be. They started Josh Richardson on him. Richardson actually did yeah. quite a good job considering the size mismatch. Then they stuck James Johnson on him. And what I want to say is I think Johnson and Richardson both did a good job. The problem was the, the Sixers killed them with back cuts all game. I mean, it was the off-the-ball movement. And for me, that's the sign of a great offense. I don't care about efficiency. I think you've actually got to look at an offense. And all that off-the-ball movement, they just shredded Miami. Miami didn't give up 130 points in the season. And <laughs> it doesn't happen. I mean, they don't. They barely give up like 110. That's That would be considered an anomaly for them. Um, the Sixers are so well coached, which is a rarity. You often get these young teams. They're kind of like... The talent shows through, but maybe look, sort of Scott Brooks' thunder, the, the assistants weren't great. This Sixers team, that ball keeps moving. It doesn't stop moving. And, you know, he went ultra small as well with Simmons at centre. I think he played Ilias over at the four as well. I mean, he just, he showed all of his cards, Brett Brown, and they all seemed to work against, in my opinion, second-best coach in the league in Eric Spolstra. What impresses me is that... that including us, there's been like, well, let's see how these rookie, rookies handle the spotlight of the playoffs. And he finished with one rebound shy of a triple-double. And that's not a, that's not a Westbrook triple-double where it's a double-double plus <laughs> X many other people's rebounds. Um, it's It was so impressive. And with, with Embiid out, I thought they, may, they might struggle to contain someone like Hassan Whiteside just because of his sheer size. Uh, yet they barely missed him. It, it's just what what they were doing. And Joe's absolutely right. The off the ball movement is just it's just love like a thing of beauty. It's it's, it's lovely. It's it's so good. No, it I, can't, I, can't. <laughs> I can think of a better word either. It's like I hate I hate watching offenses where the ball just kind of like just sticks to one side, and you you know see a guy back into the post and shoot a fadeaway jumper like. They just don't use isolations. And if they do, it's usually because they get a nice matchup in transition. That's fine. But, my God, the ball... I mean, they blitz Miami. I don't think enough people are making enough of this. 27-point win against a team that are just renowned for being horrible to play against. It's a massive statement. We we are possibly overreacting for the first two games. We've both gone... You know, we've all gone sort of, this, this, is, this is ridiculous. But... It, we sort of last week had them all being closer series, um, but it was a huge statement game. It really was a I'm next for the for the sort of the the throne of of NBA greatness. It it just felt like this was a, an arrival, and yeah, it yeah, was a wow. coming out party. Yeah, absolutely was a coming out party for for Ben Simmons. Like you, you have the the stage. You've got the nationally televised game. Everybody's watching you. You know, all eyes are on you. Even though he doesn't have a perimeter game, like to to impact the game the way he is, without that game is unbelievable, and it's very, and we've said it before, like it is LeBron esque. LeBron developed his three point shot throughout his career to the point where now I think this season is statistically he shot better than Steph Curry. Like if Simmons starts working on that perimeter shot over the next couple of seasons then this team is going to be phenomenal because like the biggest advantage they have right now and a lot of the credit goes to 
the organization for for putting this roster together this summer. Like JJ Reddick on a massive deal, everyone was like, "Oh my god, that's not quite going to work." It's perfect for this system because all he has to do is sit in the corner and shoot threes at a high percentage, which is what he does. He was four of six again on Saturday night, and then they've added all these perfect veterans. You know, Amir Johnson's been there, been to I think Amir Johnson's been to the finals with the Pistons and. You know, there's there's guys on there who have have been there and done it, and they've bought the they bring the added sort of veteran experience, and then you've got like the unknown X factor in Markel Fultz, who you know, fair enough, didn't have a great night, but he was good when he made it to the line, which is what they need him to do, and little points like that make a massive difference. And you know, I know Joe said it was a 27 point win, like their biggest lead of the night was 29, um, and to 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 give up that many points and to get that many points on top of the Miami Heat, who I well-coached, you know, defensively drilled team is just phenomenal. I think Hassan Whiteside looked completely out of his depth and it's pretty embarrassing for him to be fair because he talks the talk and he just he does. did not walk the walk. And Ben and um, Joel Embiid wasn't even playing. Joel Embiid is rumoured to not play in game two, so it'll be interesting to see what happens then. But, you know, that's embarrassing for your your franchise player because he is their franchise player. Like, as, as, you know, as popular as Dwayne Wade is, he's at the twilight of his career. And for some reason, everyone's still falling for his fake pull-ups. Um, and then, you know, Goran Dragic is... I'm not entirely sure. He, is he a top 10-point guard in the NBA? Like, no. maybe, but only just. Um, uh, but going 4 of 13 from the field for him, was just that that's not good enough. Yeah, I was going to move on to Dragic there because, you know, Whiteside's getting hammered, and that's rightfully so, because Kelly Olynyk came in, and I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was his best player, but... My my theory on Dragic since the time covering the Heat is he's a good, not great player, and he's at his best as sort of a secondary ball handler. And that I was, I know it's only one game, this could go to seven, but I kind of felt, kind of smiled a bit because I felt my theory got proven true. They, um, the Sixers were defending very aggressively, and they were basically putting the ball in Dragic's hands, and they were going, "You're not good. You can't beat us on your own," and he can. He was 4 of 13. It, it was the shots he was taking as well. He was just kind of... He was trying to fake out Robert Covington. Covington wasn't budging, and he was shooting <laughs> con, uh, contested jumpers. That's my issue with Dragic, and that is that was my issue um, in the preview. I said the Miami Heat, they lack shot creation, and they lack floor spacing. And I think that was really exposed in this game. You, you mentioned that Linux played really well. Do, do you feel, though, that that was more a... Um just like a ripple effect from how well 76 was playing defense anyway they took away every single option where that basically Miami Heat's only chance was a guy who averages 11 and a half points a year or a year a game, <laughs> yeah. for the last, a game for the last year it's just like if, if Kelly Olynyk puts up 26 points on me and he's the leading scorer by what is he 11 points or so then I'm, I'm comfortable with that because you're not walking out with a W I would definitely agree with that. I think, but I think the thing with Alinek is for a team that doesn't have those sort of individual guys who can win one on one. I think the floor spacing he gives is vital. Um, he's not as good a defender as Whiteside, but I think their only chance in this series is if he plays more than Whiteside. And also, I'd play Bam Adebayo over Whiteside as well. The problem with the problem Whiteside's going to have in this series is if the Sixers are going small, Whiteside is a good rim protector. But if you can get him outside of that paint, I would go as far as saying he's useless. I mean, he cannot defend guards. He's not very good at sort of pick and roll defense. He is very much, he likes to stand in the paint and get his blocks. 
If you pull him in out into space like the Sixers do, you're going to see a lot more twelve minute nights for him. Yeah, and he's he is a very one dimensional player. He is a very he's you know a throwback sort of traditional center in in that respect. But when when you're playing Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons is you know coming in trying to score a layup, missing the layup, and grabbing his own rebound and putting it back in, like you should be doing better than that. The the size you are, you know, the money you're on the importance you have to that franchise and being the sort of defensive anchor, you can't play like that. And if it happens again, then Miami could be in, in serious trouble. But I think it actually says a lot just to how good Ben Simmons is that, you know, Josh Richardson, Justice Winslow, James Johnson, all good defenders, good length, good, you know, big athletic guys. They, they're more than capable of guarding someone like Simmons, but Simmons is just making it look, certainly in game one, but just made it look too easy. Some of the plays, it just looked like they weren't even there and, it's going to be interesting to see how far this this series goes because, like, if they win Game Two, Seventy Sixers fans are never going to shut up. We, we won't we won't hear from them for the you know, the rest of the year. Like, it's just going to be, you know, we're going to the finals, and with the the road that's that's carving out ahead of them at the moment, then yeah, it it, it could be an interesting one. But moving on because we could talk forever about the the Seventy Sixers. We seem to have spoken about them a, a lot recently. Um, New Orleans and Portland. Um, this was this was an interesting one. I actually I, I watched most of this one um, in the morning when I got up on Sunday because I, I I don't know. I thought this was going to be the one of the best series out of all of the the first round matchups. I mean, I don't know if anyone agrees with me, but this I, I was, thought uh, it was. I thought I thought it will be rather like a very end to end. We said it on the on last week's show. It's going to be a scrappy. Yeah. Anyone can win this series. Kind it of absolutely back and forth. It was. Yeah, and, and game game one was. I mean, it finished ninety seven, ninety five. If you if you didn't watch it, um, Portland were nineteen points down at one stage. They came right back and and leveled it up. CJ McCollum with a you know clutch corner three, of a lovely Damian Lillard um, outlet pass. But yeah, the, like the uh, the and, and I'm going to say it now because Joe's been going on about this all season. But Drew Holiday's defense is exceptional. It's unbelievable. Like I've, I I I have not watched the Pelicans enough this year to. To realise how good a three and D guy he is, like it's quite clearly obvious to me that he can probably lock down any of these Blazers perimeter players. And one of the interesting stats that I was picking on earlier when I was looking looking up some stuff for this was like across seventy eight possessions, he had forty eight, uh, uh, forty seven of those were against Damian Lillard, and he stopped them on most of them, which is just which is unbelievable, really. And yeah, the the Blazers were were all over the shop. They looked a little bit um, shook by the moment, which is a bit weird considering this is what like fifth, sixth straight year in the playoffs for for this team. But yeah, and and Alvin Gentry went all six seconds or seven seconds or less in the final five minutes and wasn't calling timeouts and was just letting them play. And it was really fun. Like if you missed it, go back and watch it because it was a really really fun game. Yeah, Drew Holiday was special in that game. I mean, the thing with Holiday is, and a lot of point guards in this league do have the tools to be good defensive players, but they just can't be asked. John Wall, for one. <laughs> Kyrie Irving's another one. Um, Drew Holiday, 82 games a year, he gives you his best effort on defense. The block at the end, it was brilliant. But the thing I love about Holiday is when Cousins went down, this could have turned into a chaotic team where Davis is playing 43 minutes a night and he's just shooting from everywhere. Drew Holiday gives that system a bit of control and that is really what's impressed me so much about him. Uh, With regards, actually, before I go on to Portland as well, I think that Miritich pickup is one of the 
all-time sort of great trade deadline moves. And maybe I'm going a bit far with that, but you look at what he's done for that team. They lost a big sort of power centre with that outside shot, so they went and signed one of the hottest stretch fours in the league, and they may they may win a playoff series because of that. I, I agree. I, I wouldn't well. I say I agree. I think it's a fantastic pickup. I wouldn't necessarily put it in one of the the greatest of all time deadline day moves, but he is just plugged straight into this team and given them a really really good way of spreading the floor. He's really stepped up. He looks completely weird without his beard, but <laughs> he, he he's just totally different from the guy who was in Chicago. He's more back to the the Euro League MVP guy he was when he played with Madrid um I I was I have been impressed with him and, and I was impressed with him even though it's only 16 points say it was you know he's a double double and he was just he just seemed to be hitting from outside really really deep threes and it was a really great way of of keeping the defense honest uh and away from AD it was one of those games where Portland would would were obviously trying to get back in it and they'd go up and all of a sudden, CJ and Dame just started hitting threes, and especially like right at the top of the key where Dame comes over under that screen and, and shoots. Like that was just all of a sudden going in, and they, they but it was counteracted by the fact that Gentry has this like three guard lineup, which I know Joe's mentioned before, where they're, they're, it's like they're constantly filtering between like Rondo, Moore, Clark, Holiday, like. And you're not entirely sure what you're going to get because if Rondo plays, then he's going to get you, you know, 17 assists like he did the other night and playoff Rondo all of a sudden appears and starts becoming, you know, he doesn't quite know what he's doing himself, I think. But whatever it is, it was clearly working. And then Ian Clark, like, he was unbelievable that night. Like, I know he didn't get the ball a lot, but for the minutes he played, 25 minutes, I think he was, he was four of, th- four of five from the three, t- uh, the four of five from the field, two of two from downtown. And when you add that to the contributions that Drew Holiday's making defensively, you know, stopping CJ from driving, stopping Lillard from driving, they matched up perfectly. And then Terry Stotts made a mistake at the end because he decided to put Myers Leonard in on like one of the game this game deciding moments, and that just completely screwed them over. And Drew Holiday again with the game sealing block at the end, and you know that th- we've not even mentioned Anthony Davis yet. Like he was quite frankly phenomenal he played 40 minutes he had 35 points 14 rebounds two steals four blocks one assist like to to get that he's clearly the best player in the series and me and Mike actually said you know the other day that even though he's the best player in the series because Portland have got two superstars we expect them to come through but if New Orleans were going to win any any going to have any chance of winning this series they had to win one of these games and they've gone and done that already which is really impressive yeah, I'm expecting a bounce back next game because Lillard's yeah. going to be pissed. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were not good from they just weren't good those two for most of the game. No, uh, but but the Pelicans have the advantage now. They all you need if you're the visiting team, just take one of those first two, and and everything looks everything looks good. Um, Get out of dodge. Yeah, exactly. Then go back, regroup, and go again at home because this these these guys maybe. Joe mentions a lot how how poorly followed this franchise is. Maybe now they've got a playoff win, and you know for AD, maybe people will start turning up, and they should do because he is a special special player. It's a fun team as well. You know they they give you entertainment every night. Even if obviously you'd like to have a blowout win every night, these Pelicans they do keep it a little closer than it should be sometimes against bad teams. 
but they're entertaining, and I don't know what more you can ask for. Um, the thing that's impressed me most about this Pelicans team is how their style has changed throughout the year. You know, they started off with these two uh, bigs. Now they're just going ultra small ball. And if he wants to go um, a little bit bigger, he's got Amika Okafor on the bench, who's played really well. But I obviously, I imagine we'll want to move on to But the Portland offense in that game, I think I've said we've said a few times, I think this Portland system has been sussed out a bit. If you look at the offensive drop-off from last year, I think they went from like 6th to 18th or something like that in offensive efficiency. The main issue they've got is that ball, it just doesn't move enough for me. They, It's a player movement system rather than a ball movement system. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think it's kind of... From what I've seen from Portland, it seems like he's had the same offense since he took over. And I'm just wondering when he's going to start um, editing it a bit. I don't want to overreact to a one loss because they could easily come back and win this in five. But these were problems he had, they had throughout the season. And yeah, it's, it's not just like you're saying, like it's a, a, a person movement rather than a ball movement. And, you know, it's not that's not necessarily bad, but. But even that has to involve some form of passing, and you've got a yeah. team that is ridiculously low in the in the assists column. Well, fewest um, in the NBA. We we said that last you've week. Got, yeah. You've got to and, use handoffs. I think you used to do that a lot with Mason Plumley, but I don't think Nurkic has that in his game in the way Plumley did. Yeah, I just I just think that there's too many ball stoppers, and it just stagnates things. It's it's difficult as well because the. The intensity sort of switched up now. I think there was an adjustment from CJ and, and Dame. They weren't maybe quite ready for it. I thought Evan Turner played well, and I usually give him crap. Yeah, he he did, yeah. Um, but I, I just can't see long-term how Evan Turner still fits in this this roster. And I, and again, this is if you if you have got ball-dominant players... You, you're gonna you're gonna struggle when when everything turns up and those isolation one on one opportunities dry up. Well, I don't know where they get any. Well, certainly they've they've got obviously number one and two scorers, but like I'm not entirely sure they can rely on Nurkic to to get them points. I mean, he had 11 points on that game on Saturday night. They were going they were running big minutes for Pat Connaughton and Zach Collins. Like they were they were impactful, but it's still too early for them to be you know really consistently performing in the playoffs and the problem is when Dame and, and CJ are off and Nurk's having a dodgy night like that this team just just doesn't really really click like there's not enough off the off the screen movements the the players are very stagnant they like just standing around and it just doesn't really doesn't really help them at all especially when you've got Andy Davis who you know you have to double team him most of the time and that leaves their perimeter shooters wide open in many cases and yeah I think the adjustments will be made I think Portland's offense will will sort it out I think that those two guys Drew uh, CJ and Dame are, are just too good and we certainly saw brief glimpses of Lillard time um, in that game on Saturday night but it just wasn't enough in the end um, Washington and Toronto this was a cracking matchup um, obviously the, the Raptors won this one 114 to 106 um, the Raptors didn't look shook. They won a first round game in round one for the first time in a very, 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 um, very long time. <laughs> the game on and, curse uh, is done. 2014, yeah. I think it was, when they first lost. <laughs> That's crazy. crazy. <laughs> that, that, that is crazy. But um, yet again, they stuck with the Dwayne Casey philosophy they've been using all season of utilizing their bench and 
boy, they got a, another strong performance and a, a, yet another. And it sounds shameless because it's like we're jumping on his his back every game. But OJ Ananobi out there again, 12 points in 22 minutes, 55% from the field, 50% from downtown, eight players or more with not eight players um, across the board with nine or more points, like a, a seriously impressive performance from, from the Raptors in a game where, because it was tight for most of it, last year or the year before, they would have probably, you know, freaked out a little bit and made some mistakes. But Carl Lowry did not have the best game in terms of offense, but he was impactful everywhere else on the court. And I don't think they could have asked for a better performance from Carl Lowry. Yeah, they were. That bench was so good. CJ Miles was filthy. I mean, some of the shots, some of the shots that. Do, do, do you know the shot I mean, Matt, where I think they handed it off to him and he was miles behind the line? And he just thought, yep, shoot a shoot. And, and it went it in. straight yeah. in. I mean, their bench is. And this is why I think Masayu Jiri is the best at what he does. Um, Mid round draft picks Delon Wright, Pascal Siakam, Jake, Jack Apertel. That, you know, these are. They haven't had high picks to build this bench and they haven't really spent big in free agency. He just seems to always find these guys and I was I was actually more impressed with the front court than the back court. I thought that was the best I've seen Serge Ibaka play. Maybe for the Raptors. I thought he was really, really good. For- he was reliable, for, which I don't think he, I don't think you can say Serge Ibaka's been reliable since his very early years no, in Oklahoma. Certainly not offensively. I think they kind of developed him to a stretch four because they felt they had to. Um, yeah. But he's, I've never been convinced by it, but he's sort of improved in that area this year. Um, the thing I liked most actually about this game from a Raptors point of view is that Dwayne Casey, one of the problems he's had as a coach is that when things are going tough, he kind of retreats into himself. He'll run the same couple of plays over and over again. He'll rely on the same guys. When things were going tough, he put Lucas Deguerra in. Lucas Nogueira does not get on the court much for this team. So I, I was really impressed by that. And he also benched Norman Powell at halftime because he was just, well, he wasn't doing anything. So I was impressed with what I saw from Dwayne Casey, but I still think the Wizards are going to figure themselves out. Yeah, I was going to say, the the likelihood, this wasn't a, a blowout blowout, you know, eight points, meh. Um, how, how competitive do we think this series is going to be? Because... This is a Wizards team that we said last week are, are, are still not where they need to be, and is that you know great? You won Game One. How confident are we in the Raptors now that they've they've got their stuff together in the in the playoffs? I, I think this showed a different Toronto from previously. Like I mentioned, the fact that because it was a you know a close game, they were tied seven times. Like they showed the grit to to get past that, and traditionally they'd never been able to do that. In the series overall, I still think Washington are going to win a couple of games, but I think Toronto are too good. You know, they're top ten in both defensive efficiency and offensive efficiency. Like they are, they're an overall team this year. You can put them up there with Houston and Golden State. Like they deserve to be applauded for for how well they've played. They had a twelve point lead in in the game, but it closed right down. The biggest problem they've got is like, and you guys might feel different, but I still like the best player in this series is still John Wall. Like as good as DeMar DeRozan is, and as good as Lowry and Serge Ibaka and Valanciunas are, I still think John Wall is the most uniquely talented and gifted player in the series. But because obviously he's been out with injury, he's still in an adjustment period, and we saw that the other night. Like he was thirty percent, he was six of twenty, three of five from downtown. Like he needs, he will. He'll hopefully over the next couple of games, he will get better, and they'll they'll pull themselves 
back into the series, but like they were playing better basketball without him. But I think to win this series and to cause an upset, because it would be an upset, they need John Wall to play like the best player in the series. And right now he's he's not doing that. No, my, my issue with John Wall for the last sort of 18 months has been that he thinks he's a good shooter. I'm not on about three-point shot. I'm on about jump shooting in general. One of his favourite things to do is come off a marching Gortat screen and just pull up from mid-range. And the problem with that is, first of all, he's not a good mid-range shooter. But second of all is, you're not moving the ball there. You're letting Otto Porter and Bradley Beal go cold. You're not using Markeith Morris down low, which we know he can be deadly there. Um, I think John Wall, I think it in this game, it felt like he was trying to do too much. He was missing a lot of layups, yeah. but he was taking a lot of out-of-control layups as well. You know, I think he's got to just do what Lowry did. Lowry wasn't having the best game, but he still facilitated. John Wall thought, I'm not having a good game, so I'm going to shoot myself out of it. It's like when you're having a bad run on 2K with your mind player and you're just thinking <laughs> you just start shooting from everywhere just force it and hope it starts to <laughs> hope, drop yeah, yeah hope okay. it goes in that's what that's the vibe I got and, need to get that VC and the <laughs> and the other vibe I got as well is that Martin Gortat is done at this level he's past he it. was ju- yeah. he's still set to a good screen but I question how <laughs> I question how valuable that is just as your only skill he was he just looked slow out there he's I mean, you can still dunk it, but I don't know. If I think if the Wizards want to win this series, they've got to play Morris at the centre. If the Raptors start posting up with Valentunas, I think that's a victory for the Wizards because if the if the Raptors start slowing the game down and re- relying on sort of in, notoriously inefficient post-ups, I think that's a victory for, for uh, Washington. So I think the key for Washington is to go small, put Porter at the four, put Oubre at the three. And I think that is their route back into it. Okay, so moving on to uh, the Sunday night matchups, we had the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. This one was on BT Sport. This one went to overtime. Um, a crazy series of events, which I will shamefully admit right now that I didn't really fully watch because it was just on in the background. I was I was busy playing video games with my mates. <laughs> oh, disgusting. I didn't expect this to be a great game. As as even though I had it going I've got the series going to seven, like I still I I just yeah, the the, the offense does does not excite me, but um from from my gl- brief glimpses I got is that Jason Tatum is very good. He's more than ready for the playoffs. He, he he's certainly taken advantage of Kyrie Irving being out, he's you know running a lot more pick and roll plays. He's he's moving a lot more off the ball using the screens and yeah, he's just enhanced his game all around. Like and luckily for for them, you know they've they've got him right now because I'm not sure where they get the rest of their offense from when Al Horford's not playing very well. But Terry Rozier with a big clutch shot at the end, and then yeah. obviously Chris Middleton, <laughs> who we almost forgot about until Mike mentioned the other day. Um, on the, the, the show, even clutcher like, clutch shot. Even clutcher clutch shot with 0.5 left on the clock, I think it was. Yeah. Joe Prunty didn't look like he even knew what he was doing with that play either. He just sort of was like, right, we'll just see what happens. Um, but yeah, like, and the Bucks moved Giannis to the five in the last like four or five minutes of that game, and he absolutely slaughtered the Celtics inside. Um, so I think the adjustment for game two will be that he'll probably start there, um, and we'll see how it goes, but... Yeah, this this Bucks bench is trash, and it kind of came into it. Kind of was proved in the uh, in, when it went to overtime. Basically, I've got a question: How it took Joe Prunty four quarters to think John Henson's not going to do anything in the playoffs? Jo- John <laughs> Henson has no offensive skill. He doesn't even set a good screen. 
got no jump shot. He's not a particularly smooth role man. How on earth he played 37 minutes is beyond me. It's 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 insane that he played that long. Um, they need to go ultra small. I'd start Giannis at the center. I wouldn't just adjust. I would start him there. If Bo- if yeah, Boston yeah, are going to start posting him up, good for them. That's and I know Brad Stevens won't do that, but that is that's not a winning strategy. I would start Giannis at the center. I think I would kick Brogdon into the starting lineup instead of Henson. If floor spacing would be better, I think when you've got Eric Bledsoe handling the ball, he's not a great jump shooter. So you need to have all the spacing you can. So getting Brogdon on there will do him some good. Um, I don't really enjoy watching this Milwaukee team, though. I think they're they're slow. You know, they're sort of very mechanical. It's not really what... It's very ugly. It is, yeah. I mean, and I think when you've got someone like Giannis, it shouldn't be like that because they've got some good shooters on that team as well. Uh, as for Boston, I thought they were pretty solid overall. Marcus Morris was really good. Uh, I slagged him off a bit on Twitter the day before the game. <laughs> I wasn't convinced his sort of ball-stopping game was going to help them in the playoffs, but he played really well. Um, but I just can't see this series going far. I don't see, even with Giannis at the centre, I don't see how Milwaukee can win a couple of games here. See, I, I think it's going to be closer than that. I, I wonder if Boston would even have got away with the win had Giannis and Bledsoe not fouled out. Because it felt, it felt, it was, it was scrappy. It was good to watch, but I was just sat there going, "Oh, this is," you know. Even though, even though it wasn't necessarily going through them, you know, it was, it was going through Middleton a lot of this, this clutch time because he's the guy who's got that range. Um, I just, I just felt that when they, you know, the way they were scrapping for the offensive rebounds, which ended up with a jump ball and the foul that sent Yanis out, I was, I, they just felt like they wanted it a little more um but one of the things that struck me was in these sort of squeaky bum times when it's really really close and uh you've got your sort of clutch lineup on I sat there thinking I'm not sure about Yanis like not in you know not questioning his talent as an unbelievable player but the way that hit the flaws to his game basically rendered him useless in that situation where you need a three-point shot. And we, we, we sort of were talking about Simmons earlier, again, someone without a three-point shot. But I was sat there going, I might actually prefer to have someone like Simmons to, as a go-to guy in these situations than Yanis, because I just think that he has more court vision and, and, and is a better distributor. I don't know whether that's controversial, whether people think I'm an idiot for that. But I just sat there going, the, the, if I don't trust this crunch time lineup because of... That because of Yanis's limitations, if that makes sense. I can definitely, I can definitely get on board with that. I mean, you know what he's going to do, and he's still going to do it, even no matter who's on him. But I'm with you on the court vision. That's what, I'm not worried about the lack of a jump shot from him. But do you, could you see him sort of driving into the paint and kicking it out like LeBron used to do to Shane Battier, whoever whoever it was in the playoffs? I just, but I think a lot of that's coaching. I don't think he's really been had that game that side of his game polished enough no he's had a pretty turbulent start in in his nba career really because like you you come into milwaukee the expectations aren't very high in the first place and then jason kidd starts running this hybrid uh multi you know everyone everyone's really athletic and and got big wingspan and they play this weird defensive lineup every, every game and they kind of lack the offense and now it's got to the stage where Giannis needs to have that 
game to help stretch the floor and, and he hasn't got it and he is probably to agree with Mike like you know a liability on the court in in the final seconds especially when you're you're down big but they don't really have many three-point shooters on this team that you trust anyway like Malcolm Brogdon Chris Middleton maybe Tony Snell like probably the best three-point shooters on there Jason Terry's there but can you rely on him now like I know he comes on and maybe hits like one shot a game but it's always uh, from three though it is always from three, you know, Jason the Jet, but against this Celtics team that, you know, they had four players with 20 or more points, like their, their young guards, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, like outstanding performances from from some of these young players. And Brad Stevens just has these guys coached to, to perfection. And Al Horford is, is just a nice, have you seen that weird thing he does where he flinches on rebounds as well? I don't, <laughs> yes, I only, yeah. It's just weird. Um, but like, <laughs> he's, he's just a, an anchor for them. Aaron Baines is, is great when he comes on, brings energy, doesn't necessarily contribute much else, but like the Celtics will just scrap through this. And I think it's going to be a close series, but I think if like, in terms of the best player on the court, it should be Giannis. And if he's an MVP, like he keeps going on about being, he should be able to win a couple of games in this series by himself. And he didn't really show that on the game the other night, despite the fact he had 35 points. They're crying. Yeah, they're I... crying out for a stretch big. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. think you can maximise a a um, sort of guy who primarily is built on drives if you're not going to have the, the right spacing. I thought they should have thrown money at someone like Kelly Olynyk this summer. So they need to either draft a stretch, which is hard to do because teams reach for them, as we saw in the last draft. Um, yeah, they need to construct this roster better, or he. I think he might walk. Well, there was that uh, press conference recently where, admittedly, it was translated from Greek, but he made a, <laughs> <laughs> he made a comment like, "You know, I'm I'm here, but if it doesn't work out, then I'll probably go somewhere else." And it might have just been a literal translation, but it it's it's cha- it's definitely a, a change in tone to the fun loving Yanis, who was like, "What was it? What was that thing about frozen yogurt?" Oh, that was his first tweet, wasn't it? He yeah. was like, "I love you, America. Thanks for the frozen yogurt." Or something. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not. He's like he he is now. <laughs> like you could see him getting angry with the ejection. Understandably, he's he's now evolved into a, a superstar that wants to win. But he's just he's just got to he's just got to be a threat from outside. He's I, still I, too young to have the respect of the officials as well. Like there's some calls where he drives and he wants to get the M one, but they won't give it to him. And I purely think it's an age and an attitude thing. <laughs> like a lot of the officials this year have made it quite evident that they're not big fans of some of the attitudes of the younger players in the league. Like you know the guys who get the respect, like Paul George and LeBron James and stuff. Like they, because they've been in the league, they they get a bit more leeway with with those 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 actions. But yeah, it it, it wasn't happening the other night. Um, it was a great game though. So obviously game two will just be as uh, as scrappy. Speaking of a not-so-great game, it was the 8 o'clock uh, matchup on Sunday night on BT Sport. It was Indiana Pacers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. This was a blowout. Cleveland just all over the place. They started badly. They were behind 18-4 to early on. They had seven turnovers in the first quarter. LeBron was, I think, too busy trying to assert himself on his team, on his teammates. Like, he was passing the ball. He didn't take a single jump shot in the first quarter, which is not LeBron-like at all. And, yeah, Cleveland just doesn't appear to have anybody who can guard Victor Oladipo one-on-one and we we said this when we did the Eastern Conference preview the other day like we were talking about how this series was going to go and we were saying it was going to be sort of dependent on how you know whether Miles Turner could get out of his shooting slump he got out of his shooting slump and and more and then DeMontis Sabonis as well 
big impact from him and like we we kind of said like do are we are we at a stage now where in this series and I know there's a there's definitely a size and a speed mismatch but like you've surely got to put your best player on their best player and just try and hope that cancels out the the sort of acceleration that that Oladipo's got because when he's playing like that he he's an unbelievably talented young player and he's been one of those guys who's floated around so many teams already in his career that this is like his proving ground they've got him locked up until 2021 um, along with some of the other young guys on that roster, like the Pacers can legitimately build something here, and I think they sealed the moment by basically, you know, this is the one of the first games they've had on national television all year, and they were like, right, we're going to go out here and we're going to show everybody what we're capable of, because all the talk going in was, you know, oh, this is going to be the Cavaliers with an easy walkover. Yeah. So, so firstly, it, it it was you who was pushing that the Pacers had a chance to this series last pod. I can't claim that. I was I quite. Adamant two games, that they yeah. Didn't, yeah, I was quite adamant that they didn't stand a chance and they were going to get smashed. Didn't expect um, them to win game one. <laughs> no, I didn't expect them to win game one. I felt that the Cavs were almost looking to LeBron to, to lead the way when he was just, he was trying at first, like you say, to try and get everyone involved so he didn't have to just carry the load so early on. Because let's face it, he's he's there to carry the load when it comes down to crunch time. He's not there to carry the load for... 48 full minutes in game one of the opening round that's just (laughs) if you need him at that point things are bad and maybe they are bad but Oladipo was just incredible his his the way he backs up and then basically with one dribble goes from the half court line to within almost at the free throw line given that he's like half the size of Yanis and he does it in about half a second and if you back up he just pulls up like that and if you don't back up he is going in for a, well he had some fantastic reverse layups yesterday it's just he was just amazing I, I was sat there like if this guy's not the most improved player this season then it's it's a travesty like the, the, he has to be he was just incredible last night see with Oladipo I've been really thinking about this take for a while I'm starting to think he might be the best guard in the Eastern Conference. He needs to do this for another year. But he's yeah. he's one of the few guards in this league who really takes pride in his defence. He's got a legit offensive game as well. He actually, unlike uh, his old teammate Russell Westbrook, he actually brings other teammates into play. Um, the, the ball moves well when he's on the court. I'm really starting to believe, and he's got to keep doing this, but I think not only is he most improved... I think he could be the best guard in the East. So I remember last year when when he arrived in OKC going, well, this isn't going to work because he's not an outside threat. And he wasn't last year, but this year he's he's added that to his game as well. And he was, what, six for nine yesterday. I think he's one of those guys. I don't think he's a spot-up shooter, if that makes sense, which when you're playing with Westbrook, you have to be. You're not going to be mm-hmm. moving a lot and you're not going to get the ball. So you're going to stand either at the baseline or in the corner, and you're going to uh, get the ball kicked out to you. Whereas I think he's very good at hitting threes in rhythm. I think he's good at step-back mm-hmm. threes. And I also think if you can get him off a handoff, people are so scared of him just driving into the paint that they're going to overcommit stopping that, and he's got a free jump shot. So I think he's one of those guys who is better suited to that. And he's just... he's re- 
before the start of the season, I remember me and Josh were ridiculing this Pacers team. We were like, oh, they've got th- 31 and 51 written all over them. They're going to be boring. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. They were my league pass team this year. I found them more fun than any other team. They they just they take pride at both ends of the floor. There's no one like you know pushing their teammates aside to collect a rebound. It's a team atmosphere, and Nate McMillan deserves more credit than he's got. I d- I still don't think he's getting enough credit for it. I love all these subtle Russell Westbrook jabs that come out <laughs> on tonight's podcast. Is 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 getting a bit beyond um, Jeff Green. Oh my god! Does he play game two? He was horrific. Zero of seven from the field. Zero of three from yeah. downtown. Played twenty six minutes. Pretty much did not impact the game whatsoever. He should be cut. And I'm not. I'm. <laughs> I am not joking. He is. I've said this. He's one of those players who everyone thinks he's got potential. Potential means absolutely nothing if you don't actually even move towards it. I mean, not only has he not reached his draft potential, that's fine. You know, Not everyone does. There are always going to be first-round busts. He offers... There is no skill in his game that I would want on my NBA team. He's not a good three-point shooter. He's not a good defender. He's not a good rebounder. He's not a good passer. The only thing he's got in his game is that now and again, he will go on a run where he'll score like 10 quick-fire points what I call the Jamal Crawford. That's about all he's got to his game. I just, it it absolutely baffles me that people rate this guy. You know me, I try really hard. If someone's got an opinion they're strong with, I will try and listen to it and understand it. But I've, I've watched this guy now for four or five years and I watched him when he was at Orlando as well. I just don't understand him at all. I don't get his game. Is there a problem with Tyron Lue here as well? Because like he's obviously committing to playing Jeff Green. Certainly towards the end of the regular season, they were playing Love at the five, LeBron at the four, and then Green at the three. And it sort of went into to last night just assuming he had to play that. But they'd have been better off with probably giving those, splitting those minutes between the likes of, I don't know, Jose Calderon and, and Larry Nash Jr. Like, Jose Calderon, they've been really, really, really good with him on the court this season. And just because, you know, he's not the, the flashiest of guys, like he's just a smart, high IQ basketball player. And that's what you need in the playoffs. And, you know, you'd, I think you'd rather have that than probably commit the bigger minutes to someone like Jordan Clarkson. Like, great as, and I adore Jordan Clarkson. Everyone who listens to the show knows that. But, like, he will just, he just gives you offense. Like, Jordan Clarkson has not learned to use his athletic body in, on, in terms of being an effective defensive presence yet and that will just come but it's because he's he's young but like Larry Nance Jr. looked like he wasn't phased by the moment I think you've got to play him uh, I did the Cavs preview for the site and I, I put that he would be one of the the impactful players to look out for him and he played 29 minutes la- the, uh, last night I, th- I think that should go up you, me- you need to take Jeff Green off the court and, and spread that load a little bit further. Tristan Thompson needs to come on as well. Like he's an offensive, you know, rebound getter. Like you need to bring him on when when games are close like this. And Miles Turner last night just just had an absolute field day with them. And when you've got Oladipo constantly driving to the rim, they they can't guard this team at the moment. And you know they they lost the season series three one. We all just assumed that was a number going into to the the, the matchup last night, but. I legitimately don't think it is. Like uh, this, this Cavs team are terrible defensively. Their offense didn't show up last night, which was a surprise because you'd expect their offense to to be the one thing that you could rely on. But if they aren't going to get the offense they need, and if the defense is going to continue to be that bad, I don't know how they beat this this Pacers team. Um, I know we can get too far ahead of ourselves, but if the Pacers could win another one, 
like win game two, then I, Cleveland will be an uproar. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think, though, this is just one of those slap-in-the-face games that Cleveland need to wake them up. Like that, This is their You've Been Tangoed. If you remember that, you two probably won't because you're quite young. <laughs> I go, remember You've Been Tangoed. <laughs> The, the, this is this the Indiana Pacers with that fat orange bold guy who runs up and slaps <laughs> LeBron James in the face without him realizing it. This team went thirty of seventy eight. That's that's disgusting. Where like oh my god, there was just this, <laughs> you lost words. Was that I was bad? Raz, raging here. It, it was there was a lid on the basket. It was just they're not going to shoot that badly again. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm not confident that 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 we're you know we shouldn't be putting the nails in the coffin just yet. Maybe we should be measuring it up, but we're not we're not building the damn thing. Um, I I still see them going through the series. They that they they should if they don't come out a very different beast next game, then alarm bells need to be ring, uh, ringing because uh, this that that was just. There's, yeah, it, wake up call. They need to switch. There's two things that worried me in this Cavs game. One, why did Seddy Osman only play one minute when JR Smith played 28? <laughs> JR Smith, he's good, but he's just he's got no basketball IQ at all. You know, if you tell him what to do, he can do it. But why Osman isn't playing more is beyond me. And the other one, Kyle Corver only played three minutes, and I did research this. I I listened to Tyler's interview. He's, Wasn't he injured or something? No, because someone asked Ty Lue about it, and he said that we didn't put Corver in because the game was out of hand and over, and I wanted to be faster to switch pick and rolls. If you need to get back into a game, I can't think of many guys I'd rather have than Kyle <laughs> Corver. Kyle Corver is one of the all-time great three-point shooters, and you're down by a lot. You need to hit threes. You're not going to get back in the game by shooting post-ups where you take 20 seconds off the clock if you need quick points you want Kyle Corver on the court that just that comment from Lou it made no sense to me I think if you yeah no that doesn't make sense it doesn't all. does it like, I, I it's one thing being quicker to switch but at the end of the day a two is worth less than three <laughs> and Kyle Corver is going to get you a few threes and if you're shooting 23 percent from behind the line you probably need someone like Kyle Corver to step up and just get you some Get you some buckets. Yes, yeah, that's an insane. Comment. It's bizarre, but I, I'm with Mike here. I think they will turn this round. I can't see. Um, I can see LeBron being a bit more aggressive than he was. Kevin Love isn't going to score nine points again. We know what this guy can do. He only took eight shots as well. That's not going to happen again. In fact, it wouldn't be surprising if he sort of took fifteen, twenty shots tomorrow. Yeah, and there's been plenty of games this season where Love has had a bad game the, the the game previously, and then they've just gone to him throughout the first quarter and just let and just you know put the the offensive load on him. And I certainly think he's he's capable of carrying it. But I mean, I, I it's really difficult because like there's there's a camp certainly with me that's like I don't want the Cavs in the finals again, <laughs> and then there's a camp that's like but I want to see LeBron in the finals. So you know it, it's it's tossing it up. I mean, I'd still I've, my prediction for the. For this for this series was still four two Cleveland. I'm impressed Indiana. I couldn't believe they came out and won game one so easily. Um, but I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if the adjustments were made. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they lost game two and then came back and won four straight. Like that's just such a LeBron thing to do. Moving on to the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder, which was one of the later games um, last night. 
I don't think any of us probably stayed up and watched this live, but we've certainly seen it um, since then. This was basically the the Thunder asserting their dominance, and Mike, me and Mike kind of, I don't know, suggested on the on the on the preview show. This was the superstars, or the the sorry, the two stars taking over the game, and you know Oklahoma City's big three went for eighty points combined in the end, and basically seventy seven. Was it seventy seven? Yeah, because I'm not including Mello. I'm including Steve. Oh well, well, I included <laughs> Mello. I'm I know, sorry. I know. <laughs> as soon as you did it, I was like, "No, I'm going to challenge that." As Put me off there. That. Put me off completely. <laughs> you got me. But basically, but yeah, the, the, the Thunder starters just controlled this game. They outscored the Jazz's starters ninety nine to seventy four. An unbelievable game from the from the future Laker Paul George, <laughs> um, thirty six points, eight threes from uh, from him. That was a that was actually a Thunder franchise record in the playoffs. If he does this for three more games, I I, I don't see how the Jazz slow that down. Like and and they made a they made a, a point of stopping Joe Ingles early on, which meant they had to force the ball to to Ricky Rubio and obviously Donovan Mitchell, but everyone knows what Donovan Mitchell is going to do. So they stopped him and then Rubio was the guy who ended up chucking up like I think he had 26 shots or something in the end. Um and he made a couple of them like he just was not playing very well and when you when you're forcing a team into bad shots early on, it just doesn't bode well and this was actually a really impressive performance from the Thunder team who looked more organised in 48 minutes last night than I think they've looked all season. Yeah, I think um, there's been a lot of talk this season about how up and down they've been and whether or not Paul George is still capable of leading a team and it certainly looked like he was yesterday. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so Donovan Mitchell went out with a foot contusion. Uh, they think Apparently he's doubtful for the next get for game two as well, but yeah, it's still a so game time decision. Since we've been on... Bleacher Report have said uh, the reports of him being back and available are not accurate at the minute. It's still to be determined. If they don't have him... Where do they get their offence? <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is another guy. We said it earlier about not being, Simmons not being afraid of the limelight. 27-10 and 10 in his first playoff game against... Two of, the be- two, of the be- two of the two, best players <laughs> in, the le- in the league. Exactly. And I just think that that is just... You know, no no one's expecting the Jazz to go deep in these playoffs necessarily, and and that's just a massive boost for a franchise who, you know, after Hayward left, wouldn't have probably thought they'd be at this position they're in now. I think it's just he's he is such a talent. The key element of this game for me was how they took away Joe Ingles, as you mentioned a minute ago. Uh, the Jazz offense again lacks shot creators. It's well designed. It's well coached. I think if you could take away their core option, which is the Joe Ingles pick and roll, you thought, I mean, I know how forcing Ricky Rubio to shoot ends. I've seen it God knows how many times at two in the morning. Um, (laughs) I just, I've still got the Jazz winning this series. I think they're going to figure it out. I think Rudy Gobert will continue to patrol the interior of that. My issue with this Jazz team is that they've got to get more from the bench. They're going to win. I'd like to see more minutes for Alec Burks. I think I know he 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 had ten points in two minutes. It was in uh, basically garbage time. I'd like to see him a little bit more. I mean, other than that, I mean this Jazz team, they're gonna they're one of the few teams who aren't under any pressure in the playoffs. If they get swept, there's absolute no one's gonna like go oh, Quinn Snyder. What are you doing? Because they shouldn't even be here. Like what they dealt with in the season is amazing. You know, so they're going out there, they're playing with no pressure, which is actually why I've got them winning the series, because 
I think the Thunder are under a lot of pressure. I think if they, if they lose this series, I think Billy Donovan gets fired. I think you could be looking at the end of Mello in this team as well. Um, there's a lot of ramifications for the Thunder. But yeah, again with the Jazz, they've got to try and find some more offense, I think. Yeah, do you not think Rudy, Rudy Gobert needs to assert himself a bit more on some of these series? Because like you know, he's got the reputation of being a stifled tower and he's right up there in... Sort of defensive player of the year rankings the last certainly last this year and, and last year, but like come the playoff, do you not think somebody of his stature needs to really just assert some form of dominance, or are we in an age where the forwards can't really do that unless they have a perimeter game? He he should be doing something, but like I say, Stephen Adams, what are you going to do? <laughs> you can't you can't you can't. You can't outmuscle that man. Did you see how um, hard he dunked it at one stage? That he, where he uh, almost ripped he, his he, right he arm like out. He ripped his right arm out <laughs> and was like hobbling up the court. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, in all seriousness, no. That's so all. Like uh, Dante Exum impressed me last night. I thought he stepped up really well. Mini Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't think. I just don't think this this team has enough options if if Donovan's out, and I don't even think with with him there. They're complete enough, like. But I, I think this is going to be a great series, and you're absolutely right, Joe. The pressure is entirely on OKC. It's not on. It's not on the Jazz at all. They're they're not expected to win this series. Yeah, it was quite a quiet and understated game from Russell Westbrook as well, which I never thought I'd say, despite the fact he he had 25 shots and. You know, twenty nine points, thirty rebounds. Like it was a typical <laughs> and typical, eight assists and eight yeah. assists. Yeah, it's typical Russell Westbrook game, but like it was very understated. And I will, make, I will say actually that it was it was nice to see Carmelo Anthony enjoying himself in you know playoff basketball when it actually matters instead of moping around in in New York like he has been the last like five years. But yeah, that was just a cool moment just to see uh, somebody like him having having fun for once. Right, moving on to the final game of the Sunday night and the final game we'll discuss on the show. The Minnesota Timberwolves, Joe's team versus the Houston Rockets. This was the one game that I I, I thought Minnesota, if they could sneak it, then that might change the, the outcome of the series. But despite a pretty lacklustre offensive performance from Houston, despite the fact James Harden scored 44 points, um, this was this was far closer than it should have been. A lot of strange plays in the final sort of seven, eight minutes of the game. Um, but a really, really poor showing from Carl Anthony Towns. I expected a lot better. And yeah, like Clint Capella seized the opportunity just to, to shine above him. And Minnesota really didn't utilize that size that they've got a lot of to, to create mismatches in the post. And you look at the usage um, stats for that game, like Derek Rose had the ball the most. Uh, Towns had the ball the least, which is... Not good. <laughs> no, we're going to get swept because, uh, first of all, Mute was out. He's probably not going to be out for game two. He's their best defensive player as well. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a top five defensive player, so he's probably going to go on Butler. I fancy Mute to win that one, if I'm being honest. Um, Chris Paul had a dreadful game. He went five for 14, but it wasn't just that. He did not look himself. He was coming off the pick and rolls. The passes were off. Uh, the chemistry with Capella wasn't there as it was in the regular season. What I'm getting at is the Rockets are not going to play that badly again. And I just don't understand... I don't understand our roster construction at all. 
I just I don't get the Derek Rose signing. A couple of people said to me this morning, "Oh, Joe, he played well. He had 16 points." This has been the problem with <laughs> this has been the problem with Rose for the last couple of years. Is yes, he does have 16 points, but the problem with him is what happens when he's getting those 16 points. He doesn't move the ball, and then he, to be honest, he's such a bad defender that he actually neutralizes everything he does on offense. So, yeah. And the, the town's usage as well, um, you know, I'm going to continue this rant, but the town's usage was worrying. He was seventh. Uh, Gorgie Deng had a 29% usage. Carl Towns had a 14% usage. How the hell does that happen? <laughs> like, I really like Gorgie. He's a good mid-range shooter and he seems like a nice guy, but he, you just don't want him doing <laughs> that on offense. He's a guy who sets a screen and he can shoot from mid-range. This is my issue with Thibodeau, and this is something I've been pointing out all year. We are third in offensive efficiency, but the sets are built around the guards sort of playing one-on-one. Towns is the secondary option, and I actually think, and I noticed this a lot in the regular season, Towns is far too easy to take out of a game. Some of that is on Towns. He's not an assertive guy. He's kind of modest, but a lot of it is on the offensive sets. The, The first read for Towns usually is a post-up or a PNR, teams are going to take that away in 2018. Pick-and-roll defense in this NBA is so good. You've got to have more ways to get the ball. So I would like to see Tom Thibodeau take a look at Alvin Gentry's game plan against Portland and look for more ways to get Towns the ball. Uh, the thing everyone forgets about Towns, he's a 44% three-point shooter. You know, you don't have to get this guy in the post. There are so many ways you can get him on the ball. And we're not using it, which is really disappointing. He is, and you go back to his rookie season, and at the end of that year, they did like the GM survey, and nearly all of them picked him to start a franchise with. He is, yeah, and he's got AD skill level. Like we're finally now seeing it with AD, but like Carl Anthony Towns is a guy who you should be going to and running your offense through, and like Jimmy Butler as well. Like he was seventh on the usage list that night, I think. Like. Your two best players, you're not giving the ball to, and I know fair enough. Jimmy's like working himself back into to game fitness or whatever, but you, this is the playoffs, and you you only have one opportunity. I think they had to steal this one. You're, Joe's right; the Houston Rockets will not play this this badly again in any of the series coming up. Like they will, they'll learn from this because that's the sort of team they've been all season long. And Jeff Teague has just got to tr- stop trying to do everything himself. There's so many plays in that fourth quarter where. He had better options like Towns in the post and he would just try and, you know, score himself and it, it was not happening for him. That needs to stop and that's just been part of their game throughout this entire season and it, it, it needs to end now for them to have any chance in this series, which is annoying because I thought they'd win a game just because of, you know, how important it is and how big a moment it is for the Timberwolves to be back in the playoffs after so long, but... Yeah, they've they missed a big opportunity, and and what was going on at the end of the game with that whatever that was that Jimmy Butler threw up? I think he stepped just inside the arc, and it would have been a two if it had counted, but he wasn't even looking to. Well, it looked like he was trying to tie the game, and he must have miscalculated or something because it would have been a two. But like just poor management in the end, well, in crunch time, really. It's an odd one. Like this, just watching this Minnesota team play feels very. 2011 balls. I know that's a really easy observation <laughs> to make, given that they've got half the roster. Uh, they're not that really, good defensively, though. No, but it it does it. Just watching Derek Rose with the ball so much really annoyed me. It's, it's it really annoyed. It's ugly me. basketball. And it, yeah, I, it's like I don't care. We were third in offensive efficiency. It's 
a lot of it is about the eye test. You've got to look at this offense, and it's flawed. It's completely flawed. Rose shouldn't she just shouldn't have the ball that much. I, yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, but I wonder why it is that they're not going to towns with all his talents, and and we've seen him disappear in. And I will use air quotes for big games because obviously this is his first playoff game, so we kind of had that many big games. But like when he's when he's gone up against guys like AD, I remember early this season against the Pelicans, he put up six. So is there an issue there where he just can't flourish in the limelight? It's, it's I would say seventy percent of it is on Thibodeau, thirty is on Towns. The problem with Towns, I think, is his mentality thing. He's not an assertive player. He's he's so laid back. He is, and uh, <laughs> something Zach Harper said on Twitter the other day about. Because someone was talking about how he doesn't shoot enough threes. Zach Harper made a good point that he actually passes up a lot of threes. And I think you can um, put that into the rest of his game. He He's not as assertive as he should be. But I think a lot of it is that Thibodeau just... He's very limited offensively as a coach. He's kind of... He's got a couple of sets he uses to get Towns the ball, but that's it. Whereas I think we need someone like... Alvin Gentry, who is... We need an offensive genius in, in charge of this team. I know we're bad defensively, but we've kind of just got to accept that for now. And we've got to try and get the... I mean, there's no point developing your defence if your offence is flawed. There's no point. I would much rather we focused on the offence and get Towns doing, you know, playing more to his potential at the moment. Speaking of offence, we've been talking about this, this matchup for... Eight minutes, something like Why that. Why have we mentioned James Harden? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> forty-four <Yeah>. points. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, what, what can we say about this guy that that isn't just more praise for his MVP candidacy? Like, I love the way that he kept Jimmy Butler on his hip. Like when he when he goes through the pick and roll, he, he's not the most the paciest of, of, of ball handlers. And so to prevent guys from getting back on defence, he sort of cuts back in on himself, puts the contact on him, and just sits with him on his butt, basically. And I just just it's just a masterclass of how to how to create space and contact, which is how he gets the line so so much. It's just what a talent. There were plays in that game, certainly late on, when obviously the Timberwolves were trying to keep the score t- close, like where it looked like Harden had dribbled himself into like a sticky situation that you didn't think he could get himself out of. And Chris Paul would come and set like a screen and he'd get around that somehow. And then he'd just like lay the ball and float it up over Carl Anthony Towns. And it's just, and it went in and you'd just be like, there's not many people who can do that. Like, I certainly think he's probably the best pure scorer in the league right now. Like it's probably him and Durant, but like there's been a debate the last couple of weeks about who like, is he as good as, I don't know, somebody like Kobe Bryant. I know the TNT guys mentioned it last night, but like, I generally think he is. Like, and I think he might be better. Like, if you're building a team around a, a, an offensive weapon, James Harden does everything at such an incredibly high level. And no matter how many points you're down in a game, he seems to drag you back into it. Isn't this like his 12, 40 point game this season? It's just, it's, it's unbelievable what he's doing. And he will win the MVP. I don't think that there should be any doubt about it. But like, it's bit, to to watch the growth of him going from a you know an upstart role player who looked completely dazed in the when was it the 2011 2012 finals to to where he is now so calm and composed playing alongside Chris Paul like and as bad as Chris Paul was the, the last night like it cancelled it out because you've just got 
and we said it on the previous shows, like you've got two superstars playing isolation basketball at the very pinnacle of the game. And because of the way this team moves the ball and run and, you know, runs off the ball as well, they're so hard to guard. And like, they did not have the greatest night, but they still won. And it's, it's, it's so impressive watching James Harden, but Clint Capella, like the other night, like I mentioned him briefly a second ago when I was talking, like he was a man last night. You, You could not ask for a better performance from a guy who this time last year could not shoot a free throw. To like to going out there and 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 dominating is seriously impressive. Like it shows how how much he's worked on his game. This that certainly last summer and throughout this season. Yeah, he's he's a great asset to have because he's the kind of guy who will give you everything on defense and then run the floor. And he's athletic enough to get up and and, and get to receive an alley oop. Or he's not the kind of guy as well. He understands his role so well in that he will still run up the floor even if he knows he's not getting the ball at the end of it. Like you get a few guys who'll make the defensive play and then go, you know what? I'm a little bit I'm a little bit out of breath. You guys go, I'll just I'll just chill for a minute. Um kind of actually like LeBron did a bit yesterday. I saw him chill a few times. Um but Capella will just run and run and run. And I, I, it's just his heart and hustle is is what makes him as good as he is. It's also the fact that if Houston misses a shot, then Capella will go back in and say they've got another like, another possession and the shot clock's reset. He'll go back in and post up again. Like You contrast that to what Carl Anthony Towns was doing. He didn't seem to know what to do if they got the ball back. It was almost like, well, what am I supposed to be doing now? And I think he's, Clint Capella's in a system that fits him to, to like the T the of what he could be. And he's only going to get better with playing alongside these guys who are such high IQ players. And I think it's almost like the uh, the Timberwolves could really benefit from having maybe a really high IQ point guard on the team. Not that I'm saying that Jeff Teague isn't high IQ, but like Jeff Teague is very, I want to be the man a lot of the time, and and that doesn't necessarily help. Okay, has anyone got anything else they want to mention before we uh, we just talk briefly about the up and coming games? No, not like I'm thinking. No, of. go for it. <laughs> no, go for it. Right. Um, obviously tonight it's uh, the 76ers and the Heat and the Warriors and the Spurs. I just want to get your guys' predictions quickly, and then we're gonna we're gonna call it quits. Oh well, that's easy enough. Uh, Philly and the Dubs. I think we're all going Philly and Dubs. I assume you are, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I think the Heat will keep it closer this time, though. I think Spolster is going to make some adjustments, but um, yeah, Philly Dubs. So okay, so let's let's that that was pretty easy. Should we, should we try and make it a bit more complicated? Then what do we reckon? This, what do we reckon the? Uh... How far ahead are you going? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So so you're saying it's going to be a bit closer. So you think Philly win by eight? No, not that many. Three, four. Three, I've, four. I'm going to go with Put it this way, there's going to be out-of-bounds plays drawn up in the last minute. That's how close I think it's going to be. Okay, Matt. Are you, are you writing these down? <laughs> no, no. This, this is on record. We don't need to write anything down. Um... Oh god, I I think at home I it, they'll win by ten plus again. Ah, okay, and then we've got uh, Dub Dub Spurs. Um, Warriors by um I don't know twelve or something. Okay. Yeah, War- Warriors by. I'm going the same as last time. Is it twenty one last time? Yeah. yeah, we'll go for that. We'll go for that again. <laughs> We'll go for that again. And, I'm, I'm an- go. Another beat down. Oh, see, I was going to go 20, but that's too close to 21. Uh, <laughs> I'll go 15. 15. Because I, th- I think they're going to empty the bench this time. Even more. 
Well, by the time you folks listen to this podcast, you'll know, so you'll be able to mock us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we'll, we'll probably get this completely wrong. Um, as always, please do check out the uh, the website, which is doubleclutch.uk. If you go on there now, you'll notice there is a tab that says Playoff Preview. Please check that out. There was an awful lot of hard work went in from several members of our uh, our team in, in putting that together. We previewed all of the 16 teams involved in the 2018 NBA playoffs. Joe wrote a couple. Mike wrote a couple. I think I can't remember. I'm getting no, lost. Now. I wrote. I wrote none. Mike edited most. everything. There you go. Almost everything. Not quite. There Link we go. Some well, editing. Yeah, we'll claim. We'll claim everything. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll claim it. <laughs> every, every, everyone wrote bits and bobs. Um, so go and check that out. I, I think that was um certainly an interesting one. Like we've never done that before, have we? But we got it together in time. There were a few uh, hairy moments, but we uh, we managed to keep up on our promises that me and Mike made on the. Uh, the last two podcasts, despite the you fact made we, that had, promise. we had no you idea, us up. <laughs> we had no idea whether that was going to happen or not. But um, yeah, we uh, we managed to sort that out. Um, please do follow us on Twitter at Double Clutch UK. If you are watching playoff games over the week, please do use hashtag NBA in the UK. Because it's the playoffs, we are going to attempt, and I say attempt. Um, you're going you know to give another like. promise now. That we're I, I'm going to attempt it. Maybe we're going to get two shows out this week. I'm relying on Joe Holbert <laughs> for this one. Um, <laughs> no pressure, Joe. <laughs> I'll do my best. Oh, that, that sounded optimistic. Um, please check us out on Twitter. If you if you like the podcast, please do subscribe and obviously review us on iTunes or whatever the platform is that you listen to. Don't forget you can check us out on Spotify. Um, but besides that, enjoy the rest of the uh, the playoffs and we'll be back at some point, hopefully, this week with um, a couple more Game 2, maybe Game 3 reviews, depending on what day we record. Um, but we'll, we'll catch you soon, guys. 